Today we have Robert Oglesby with us. He's the uh, ACU Director of Youth and Family Ministry. Uh, he also is a professor. He told me he teaches about three courses every semester. And uh, I understand you ride a motorcycle and, and enjoy mountain climbing and, and that sort of thing. And, I asked him what, uh, if there was anything I needed to mention, and he just said that uh, he's a survivor of parenting and in the trenches of grandparenting. So, uh, and then his uh, has three children. Uh, say they all bleed purple, and he did say that's terminal. So, <laughs> his student or children all go to have gone to ACU or are currently there. So. Um, last night we got to spend some time with him. He kind of gave us an eagle's view of what today's going to be like, and I I really think he has a lot of wisdom to impart. Uh, the intergenerational team, which you'll notice we have a t-shirt on. Uh, we've been anticipating this for a while, and uh, appreciate you taking the time to come and join us. And so instead of hearing me, I'll give it up to Robert and uh, we might go ahead and pray over this afternoon as well. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessings of this day and every day that you give us. God, thank you for the hearts and minds that are here to take time to uh, learn new things and, and receive wisdom from somebody who's uh, dedicated a lot of time on, on this issue at hand. And God, we pray for uh, Robert as he presents this material to us, uh, maybe it be a blessing to us, and, and we may share it with other people. God, again, just thank you for all the blessings you give us. Most importantly, the, the sending of your son, Jesus, to teach us how to live and to give his life for us, that um, by accepting him as Lord and Savior of our lives, we'll have eternal life, and there's no, no gift greater than that. So God, just bless us in this afternoon and, and in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, Robert. All right. I'm going to tell you a little more about me and how the day will work here in just a second. But I want to start off in the very beginning. And we're going to show you just a brief clip to show you where exactly we're going to start this whole discussion. So let's roll that.
heard people say that too much of anything is not good for you, baby. But I don't know about that. There's many times that we've loved and we've shared love and made love. It doesn't seem to me like it's enough. things that uh, we start out with is that everything God created was good. And one of the messages that I want to get across to you so you can get across to your youth groups and, and kids and grandkids is the fact that God created this thing called sex. Every single time, every th invention he made for them, he kept coming back to say, this is good, this is good. Stars, moon, sun, good. Firmament, good. Animals, good. Man, good. Women, better than men. Uh, and then sexuality was his creation. Here's why I'm here. I don't get an invitation to talk to a lot of churches about this because many churches are afraid. They're afraid to discuss this subject, especially inside here. By the way, that soundtrack will be, be being played tomorrow morning when you come to church here at Western Hills. No, not really. No, not really. We're going to use it for communion meditation thought. No. Uh, one of the things that happens is I will ask all my students for the last 10 years at ACU, and I'll have about 65 to 70 students in every single class, and I've asked the same question every year. How many of your churches have talked about sexuality out of the pulpit? How many have really talked about what God's plan is for that? And I'll get about 10% of the class, about six kids, raise their hands. And then I ask the question, what message does that send to you? First message, God doesn't know anything about it, even though he created it. Really? The church has laryngitis regarding sexuality. Oh, we can't talk about it, especially inside our buildings. So that's one message. The second message is that sex is bad. It's all bad. They hear the church, what little the church does tell them, it says sex is bad and you will always say outside of marriage, but they basically hear all sex is bad. And we've got to get back to a message of sex is good, it's created by God, he knows best about it because there are a lot of other people teaching and preaching about sexuality. They are rock musicians, they are uh, some of the, the pundits on, on news shows, they are preaching at our kids. The question is, are we going to give them the other side? Uh, it's a, it is an elephant. And I love this picture uh, as we sit here uh, in a church with this thing that we know that that is the case. We know students are dealing with this and struggling with this. They're confused by this, yet we are saying nothing about this. So uh, one of the things that I've, I'm trying to do, whoop, it's not letting me switch. Let me go to the next slide then. There we go. So I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to bring it up. The great thing is the eldership here has said, we're going to have the courage to talk about it. And I told them they're exceptional. 
Uh, there are too many churches that are afraid of it. They don't want to talk about it. And what we're going to be doing today is a, basically allowing you to have kind of a discussion and you can ask questions. And I'm going to invite you to keep asking those questions throughout the day on those cards. And we'll deal with all those tomorrow. And I'm going to try to go through a ton of material, but I want you to be able to ask the questions you want to ask at some point. I want you to push back. I want you to say, I don't agree. Uh, if you don't agree, and, and just write that down, and I will, I will talk with you again tomorrow uh, with that. Or you may have some questions you want to talk about on the side, but I just want you to know that I think this is a courageous attempt by this leadership to at least talk about uh, these things. Uh, this generation I call the Y generation. And I call them the Y generation because they keep asking why. And I have grandkids who are now two, five, and seven. And I'll say anything. It doesn't matter what the fact is. Uh, whales swim in the ocean. Why? Well, because they just do. Well, why do they swim in the ocean? We just go through a 20-question why deal right now. This generation deserves to hear the whys. They're not satisfied with just don't do it. Uh, Back in the past, drug, uh, drug programs said stuff like, just say no to drugs. Does that tell you why? No. That works with younger kids, okay. With junior high and high school students, they need to know the why. Uh, so I've called them the why generation. This might be a better picture of Generation Y. <laughs> you may have seen this at your local mall. Uh, walking around, I just want to go up and just yank all their pants up and give them a belt or give them some money to go buy a belt. But this is our Generation Y deal. My thing is, I feel like they are uh, not, I'm not sure they're going to make it. Uh, this next group coming up, because they think doing stuff like this uh, makes sense to them. Uh, that they should be kissing on pigs and stuff like that. Or uh, some kids who decide they're going to put a frog in their mouth. And I ask the question, why would you want to do something like that? And I think I found the answer. It's because their fathers are doing things like this. <laughs> yeah, somebody's going to get hurt right there, aren't they? <laughs> or their dads are doing things like this, thinking this is a good idea. And some of you men are out there right now going, that's how I'm going to do that this afternoon after this guy gets done. I, yeah, I never thought about putting two of those together. Do not do that. You know, that's, that's a bad idea. Most of us would love to do parenting a little more like this, where we just put our kid up against the wall, duct tape them, and move away. By the way, these are not my kids or grandkid pictures up here at, at all. Uh, don't call CPS on me. They need to know why. I want to read you just one uh, brief little letter. This is written by a junior at Texas A&M University, and I hope you'll still listen, even though I said Texas A&M. Uh, she wrote this to the next generation, and she wrote this a little bit after the Littleton-Columbine massacre. She said this, I'm a member of the upcoming generation. The older generations are hoping we will mindlessly assume our place as next in line. Uh, they do, that way they won't have to explain why my generation has had to experience so much pain and heartache. What heartache, you say? Don't you know you've grown up in time of great prosperity? Yeah, we know that. Believe me, it's been drilled into our minds since birth. Unfortunately, the pain and hurt I speak of can't be reconciled with money. I have some questions for this generation. A whole generation is struggling to grow up and make sense of this world, and we have lots of questions for you. People have labeled us Generation Next, but we are more appropriately named 
Generation Y, W-H-Y. Why did most of you lie when you made the vow, till death do you part? Why does the television do most of the talking at family meals? Why is work more important than family? Why do you try to make up for a lack of time you spend with us by giving us more and more material objects that we don't really need in the first place? Why have you neglected to teach us moral values? Why isn't religion one of the most important words in our household? Why don't you have enough faith in us to teach us abstinence rather than safe sex? Why do you allow us to watch violent movies but expect us to maintain some type of childlike innocence? Why do you allow us unlimited amounts of time on the internet but are shocked about our knowledge about how to build bombs? Why are you afraid to tell us no sometimes? You see, you've pursued your desires for years, but now it's time to reap what you've sown. Some rude awakenings like the Littleton Massacre have occurred and probably will continue until you begin to answer some of our questions and make drastic changes on raising us and answering those questions. You may not think we are worth it, but I can guarantee you that Littleton will look like a drop in the bucket compared to what might occur when a neglected Generation Y comes to power. Tough. Tough to read. They would say we deserve an answer. And I agree. And now as we look in more recent history, we understand that Littleton wasn't the last school shooting, right? Wasn't the last group of kids mad, frustrated, angry, looking for someone to love them and to teach them a moral code. Um, we're going to look at that today, and I think uh, we, we sometimes go, oh, we're just not getting the message through and maybe we've got to teach better and more. Uh, I would just tell you that I think you do a fab fabulous job of teaching many things as a parent. Uh, I just want to encourage us more in certain areas. Uh, I'll tell you the areas where we're really good. And I'm going to show you a couple of phrases. I want This is where you get to participate. I'm going to do the first part of the phrase up here on the screen. You tell me the last part. Everybody ready? Everybody gets to play. Here we go. Put that stick down before you... Poke your eye out. Very good. Thank you. You're, you're doing it. How many times have I told you get down from there? Get down before you break your neck. Okay, good, good. Stop that. Stop that. I'm going to count to. Did I hear a 10 out there? I knew you're a liberal. I knew from a long time ago. Got inflation happening, you know, in a generation. I got to three. I, in fact, I think I got hit around two. Uh, I, they never got to three at my house uh, growing up. Uh, another good one. Quit crying or I'll give you. All right. All right. Where did we learn those? How do, how do we, it's like we went to the same school, school of parenting. Why do you know those phrases so well? You heard them. Did you hear them once? Over and over and over. Your mama and dad. And, and I love some of the questions my mother used to ask, stuff like, do you want a spanking? <laughs> yeah, yes, pl please, give me two while you're at it. That was the dumbest question I've ever heard. And you know what? I heard that out of my own mouth. Do you, with my kid, you want a spanking? Oh, yeah. And I had told myself, I'm not going to use any of these because I was so tired of my parents doing it. But it got ingrained. It was that worm inside my brain that when the frustration rose high enough, here they came out of my mouth. 
and it did with you too. And you know what? Your kids are going to have the same thing happen to them. They're going to say, I'm never going to say that. And you're going to be able to live long enough to hear them say every single one of them. And you're going to go, yes, it worked. We transfer those on and on, generation after generation. Why? Because we heard them, and we've heard them again and again, and they become a part of who we are in some areas. We're really good at physical safety. You know, we, we bubble-wrapped all our kids so they wouldn't fall down and hurt themselves. Uh, you know, my parents must have hated me. I never wore a bicycle helmet all the time I was growing up. We, seat belts? Pfft, car seat belts? Nah. We were just rolling around, walking around in our little station wagon with the wood paneling on the side. Right? You remember this? You realize our parents would all be arrested right now if, if there was not a statute of limitations. Well, we got more concerned about that and so we don't we strap my grandkids in like they are nasa astronauts you know <laughs> it takes them 20 minutes to get out of it because you, you buckled them in because we're into safety physical safety is is a great thing but the question i ask is spiritual safety are we going to be willing to speak about the things that will help our kids be safe spiritually and repeat them and say them over and over again until they finally get it. Uh, it's what Moses was trying to get the children of Israel to do with their kids. Tell them over and over when they wake up, when they lie down, all the time, every day. Try to do our best to do this. I, I don't know if you've ever thought about it. Uh, families of the Bible. Uh, just tell me, any, any families of the Bible, who do you remember? Who are some of the classic families of the Bible? Noah. Noah. Uh, did his family have any issues a few. Really toward the end of his life, was there a problem here? Covering up their father's nakedness and all that stuff. Ooh, okay, that, good start. Uh, another family from the Bible? Do, I, I can't. Adam and Eve. Okay, Wait, did they have any problems with their kids? One of them wanted to kill the other? Does it sound like your home? <laughs> Brother and sister wanting to kill one another? Uh, absolutely. Uh, so they had, okay, so that's, okay, that's two bad ones. Uh, any others? David. Da oh, King David. Well, he, man after God's own heart, perfect family, correct? <laughs> oh, he had a little problem with the family system as well. Son rising up, taking over his kingdom, sleeping with his wives, concubines. Oh, okay, that's, that's three bad ones. Okay, uh, another one? Do what? Abraham. Abraham had... He had no problem. Man of faith and, and all and never lied about anything and his wife. and Okay. You see where I'm going with this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. About the best family that we can grab is Mary and Joseph. And we don't know that much about what went on. You know, they were at least faithful on the front end. And we go, okay, they did great. And they raised Jesus, who obviously did nothing wrong ever. Wouldn't you hate to be Jesus' brothers and sisters? Why can't you be more like Jesus? Oh, shut up. He never does anything wrong. Well, the Bible does not airbrush characters. There are families that are just as messed up as ours. I hope I've made you feel better, and I hope you're blessed today. <laughs> Thinking I'm just as good as those. Right? 
those families, uh, as, as they have tried and attempted to live life, they've run into some problems. They've run into some issues. Well, I just want to say welcome to the party. Uh, most of you remember your first child before they came home. You remember getting ready for that event and experience. Uh, you were trying to get everything just right, the baby bed all set up and car carriers and, and all those things all put together so everything would be just perfect. And you, you know, clean the carpets, you clean the curtains, you sent the dog to the dry cleaners to get him cleaned off as well so that that baby would come into this perfect, wonderful environment in your home. And so they would grow and just do wonderful things. And it might, this would, might be very symbolic of what you remember. Uh, you know, the, your little kid just come, comes down the stairs. This is my granddaughter, by the way. Uh, I couldn't come this far without showing her to you. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a true grandparent every way. This is Holland. And man, she, she is someone that we would want everything to be absolutely perfect for. The problem is we're not in the Garden of Eden anymore. Things are not perfect, which is much more indicative of maybe the third child. Do you remember the third child? You didn't clean much anything. You, yeah, you remember the first child, you would, you would, their pacifier would hit the floor and you'd go back and boil it again to make it and just get the right temperature and make sure we killed all those germs. And the third kid comes along and you ask the dog to bring the pacifier over. <laughs> And then you kind of wipe it off on your shirt. And I, I know some men in this room have done this. They just went, ha ha, that's good enough for the third one. And, and your third one may, might look a little more like this <laughs> all the time. Because we have uh, our, these kids are part of a world that's fallen. Everything's not going to be perfect. The day it becomes perfect is when we're all in heaven again. The in-between part much more difficult uh, for them. So uh, that's, that's some of the things we're going to talk about. But I want to start out, we, in the Garden of Eden, we're going to talk about the theology of Genesis 1 through 4 real quickly because I think that helps us know and understand kind of the simplicity of what God had at least intended and called for in sexuality in general. So uh, here, here are just some basic things. And, and uh, if you want to write them down, that's fine. But you, you know these. Man and woman were created the fall happens, uh, the battle between Satan and God starts up. The remedy is actually talked about at the very front end of the book, saying there's an answer to the fall, and that's going to be Jesus. And, you know, that's, that's coming. It's the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ coming to the world. It's talked about in the very first pages of the book. So we know there's going to be hope and there's going to be grace and forgiveness. And then marriage was created by God. Not by the Supreme Court. It was created by God. And so we've got to understand that. And then Satan goes after the parents first. And who's he go after next? The kids. His strategy is evident from the very first page of the book. If he can't get your marriage to crack up and get you to turn away from each other as, as mom and dad or husband and wife, he's coming after your kids. And he did a number on the kids. One in particular. Cain. And Cain, he was just, he had a warning. He had the Lord himself saying, sin is crouching at the door. Watch it, watch it, watch it. And Cain still did it. Some would call that willful disobedience. And we see 
he was, he was in need of the Lord and that remedy that's going to come. Uh, then the book starts with the family, this whole family being under attack. I love the fact that Genesis, when you get to the end of the book of Genesis, you have Joseph bring his family back together after all this discord. So even the book of Genesis turns out really nicely. That is a, a family unit that had some issues and problems that turns out really nicely and basically mirrors a lot of the theology of one through four uh, in this. So what are the implications for, the, for especially chapters one through four? Uh, here are the biggies as we talk about how God intended for families to look like and to be. Number one is life comes from man and woman. Now, our culture does not really like that very much. They would, they would love to say there's all sorts of forms and shapes and all that. God started out with Adam and Eve and said, here's how it's going to happen. Uh, this ending, uh, the ending to Genesis would have been uh, very short and abbreviated if we had two men created and two women created. Would have been a one-page deal. No creation, no, uh, no creation of, of young kids. Uh, even the first commandment, be fruitful and multiply, cannot be satisfied any other way. So if I was talking to a biologist or anyone else about, you know, how, how do you uh, do this in other ways and other forms and shapes, you, the bottom line, the pattern is set early on in Genesis chapter 1. Companionship is obviously something that we all needed. If you, if you read very carefully in Genesis, uh, the early parts, you hear and see that it was not Adam going to God saying, I need uh, someone to talk to who's like me. It's God himself sensing man needed companionship. And he found that in Eve. That's a universal. And I don't care uh, you know, what, what you think about uh, the Adam and Eve part. Bottom line is the universal desire to be in companionship and in friendship with someone is really strong and, and important. And then we see him create this uh, relationship that we would call marriage, but bottom line is, uh, is a family unit created. Adam and Eve going to have kids, and he starts giving instructions about some really weird things, such as leave your family and cleave. There's no in-laws yet. There are no in-laws to talk about this. Yet he says, I'm giving you this institution. Adam, Eve, you cleave to one another. And then to their kids, he's basically saying, you're going to leave your folks someday, and you're going to leave your family, and you're going to cleave to somebody else. I don't know if you've seen this or watched this, but we are a hyper-connected world these days, especially between parents and kids. I have college students who have their moms calling them six times per day. I'm going, man, that, that's not the world I grew up in, mainly because I didn't have a cell phone when I was there. I had to call long distance on a landline. And for you younger kids, Google it and you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. But they are so connected, they're having a hard time leaving their family when they go to get married. So a lot of the premarital stuff I do with young couples is, can you, in the, in the relationship, not, not that you never talk to them, but can you cleave? And I find that if they can't leave, they can't cleave well. You can love your mama, love your daddy. That's awesome. That's good. But from now on, this is going to be a priority. And I will say it in the wedding ceremonies. And sometimes the parents don't like it. But if they want their kids to be successful in this new relationship, it has to happen. Where did I get that? Is that Robert's stuff? No, that's God's stuff. Leave and cleave. 
And if we start seeing some of these little hints and some of these patterns about what's going on and what God intended uh, with this. Uh, now, some of you have said, you may be thinking, man, if, if they hadn't messed up back in the day, we, this would all be all right. I guarantee you, every one of us would have done the same thing Adam and Eve had done. We, we would have messed up. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. There are these little rectangle signs on the highway. And it has, a, has some numbers on it. 75 speed limit. I want you to read those words next time you're out there on the highway. Speed limit. Limit says I'm going to be there or below. Has anyone ever gone above 75? Do you know what? Okay, thank you. There's a few people who are willing to confess with their hands. I wasn't even looking for hands. I know all of you do it at some point. Every day. <laughs> Absolutely. And they did too. It was perfection. It was awesome. All you got to do is just one thing. Do not eat from that one tree. Everything else is perfection. And yet they did. With your, with your kids, I would do it this way. I, I, I've done it in Bible class before. I've had a sign over there by that wall. And the sign said, wet paint, do not touch. Wet paint, do not touch. And I put some little open paint cans over there so it smelled like paint had been done. And those kids, they'd walk in and they'd walk up, they'd read my sign. Wet paint, do not touch. Now, I could see, I could watch those eyes going and each one would reach up and touch my wall. <laughs> and then they'd all look at their fingers and rub their fingers. And they'd kind of, then they'd sit down. I let them all touch it. Every one of them. I didn't say a word to them to them until everybody sat down. Everyone, with the exception of two kids who were great kids, they, they read the sign, I saw them, and they didn't touch it, and they walked, walked and sat down. 98% of the other ones did. And I gave it to them. I said, did you read my sign? Yeah. What did you do? I touched it. I touched it, and the, the, the paint's not wet anymore. And they showed me their fingers. I said, I don't care. What, am I, what are the words under that sign? Do not touch. What does that mean to you? Don't touch. <laughs> Why did you touch? I don't know. <laughs> oh, I do. It's part of our nature. You give me something, you tell me that's the one thing not to do, and I go right for it. Our world is imperfect. Our world is not perfection anymore. We have things, and we have some things that God's told us that we've said, that's nice, God, but I'm going to touch it. That's nice, God. I know it's a speed limit, but I'm really late. There's a roast in the oven. I'm late for work. I need to get there. The ki- I've got to pick up the kids. I forgot my kids again. So I need to speed. And we give in. Some of the things that we need to understand, and we need to help our our students understand, is God's a little clearer than our society is allowing him to be. We've got to be reminded of that. And some of this stuff, you may go, okay, Robert, I've heard this before and I've seen this. But have your kids. Is it just as evident to them as put that stick down? Get down from that before you break your neck. 
I'm going to count to three or ten in some countries. Do they get it? I want to show you a picture real quickly. Uh, tell me what you see. What do you see? You see a woman? Uh, you see a young woman or old woman? Do you see? Uh, you, you see, an, I hear an old woman over here. I, do y'all, some of y'all see a young woman? Okay. How many of you see both women? Okay. We got several who are geniuses. Uh, see them both. Does anybody see the face of Jesus? He's not out there. I just thought I was just <laughs> joking with you. If you I was gonna, I, sometimes I'll say, if you look close enough and kind of cross your eyes, you'll see Jesus, and, but everybody starts crossing their eyes, and it, I'm afraid they're going to stick or something. Do you think the artist was trying to be cute and draw this on purpose to basically show two different women? This is a clever device. Uh, I could show you some others very much like this, but you can look at it one way, in one direction. Some of you are probably going, I don't, I don't see the old woman. I don't see the young woman. Uh, well, I'll, I'll show you here uh, later how they're both there, but they cause confusion. One of the things that we're going to try to do is help clear up a little confusion. I don't believe God was trying to create confusion. He, was, he always tries to bring order to our world, not chaos. Typically what happens is something is created, and he, he creates it, and then we disassemble it. Or we twist it. We use all of it, and then we twist just a tad and go, that's what I think he's talking about. When the reality is still there, he's trying to bring us to clarity, not confusion. Uh, what we're going to try to do today is is kind of work through this and, and bring you uh, a little more aware of just some of the stuff that's going on. And I'm going to try to take some breaks as we go through here so that it's, it's a, not too hard to sit and listen to because I know you're going to hear a lot of me today. Uh, but here's what I'm going to try to do. We're going to take a break every 45 minutes, rain or shine. And so let you go to the bathroom and, and get a drink. And I think they've got a bunch of stuff out here that you're welcome to uh, grab and eat and, and enjoy the day. But I want you to enjoy the day. I want you all to feel better at the end of the day, not worse. I, I don't know if you've ever been to conferences like that where you go, oh, this is wonderful. I feel awful at the end. I feel like a terrible parent. I feel like a terrible grandparent. Uh, I want you to feel better and more equipped when you get through. I'm going to talk about some of the kids I know, but I know some of the most precious ones that are in your mind are the ones you know. They're the ones you're raising in your house. They're the ones who are your grandkids. And I'm going to try to equip you with as many things and ways of thinking about this as I can in the limited time we have today to help you battle against a culture that says, oh, we're all so confused. It is complex at times. But I'm going to tell you, a lot of what's going on in this day and this time is we have a bunch of people who are saying, we're not going to listen to God. We're just going to go with our feelings. We're going to go with what we think. We're going to listen to Oprah more than we do to the Lord himself. We're going to, we're going to examine some things, uh, and I'm going to use 
things besides the Bible. I, I think the Bible is authoritative, authoritative, inspired Word of God. But you know what? I'm finding our kids are not looking and reading the Bible like I used to read it. That was like the final word for me. Some of the students are needing more information to back up the, the Bible. And I'm going to try to give you some of that information from psychology and research uh, today that I think will help you as you kind of point out, here's why God was so smart. I want us to change our kids' opinion about the Bible. They see it sometimes as a rule book. I want them to see it is a great deal of wisdom and love. He has their best interest at heart. And so one of the things I try to do with our ACU students is when they see the Ten Commandments, they sometimes see this, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And I'm telling them, every one of those was written with you in mind. All these things are great principles to help you have a better society. And all these things that may sound very restrictive are basically to protect you. There is nothing worse than pain to see it in a kid's eyes that's been caused by them stepping outside of God's laws and they feel isolated and alone. Pain isolated gives you more pain. Pain that's connected to other people that, help, that can help you, like you, with your kids, and you maybe as life group leaders and all, those are going to help kids carry pain. You're going to help them. And that's what today is about, is we're going to help you, hopefully, help these students understand better what God intended for them, that he loves them irrationally. He's going to continue to be, chase them and pursue them, no matter what they've done, no matter what they think and feel like, he wants to be their Lord and God. And he'll do anything to get them. And I appreciate your attendance today. It says to me, you guys care about the next generation. And I do too. So let's take a quick break. Let's be back in here right at 3 o'clock. Okay? 3 o'clock. Remember to write any questions down as you go. Don't forget them. <laughs> 